0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture in fly fishing. This is the 187th episode of the podcast. We're going to talk about fishing in the rain, fly fishing in particular, in the rain. And this is a weather-influenced podcast because as I sit here on this lovely spring morning with my cup of coffee recording this podcast, it would be a great day to go fly fishing. The fish have been incredibly active. They're moving around. They are willing to take flies. There's a lot of insect activity both above and underneath the water. The weather is almost perfect. High sixties in the morning, mid seventies throughout the day. The only issue with today is that it's raining. That shouldn't be a deal breaker. Like, I mean, I have to go to work today. But if I had today off, or if I wasn't scheduled to go in and do anything in particular today, today would be a perfect day to go fishing. Still, even though it is raining. Now there have been a couple of waves of some really, really intense rain that have rolled through. But otherwise, it's been just a steady drizzle. And that is a great time to go fishing, especially if you have a fishing trip planned or if you just have a few hours kicking around and you want to get outside. Don't let a little bit of precipitation bog you down. So today I'm going to talk about a number of things and every one of them probably could warrant a podcast episode unto itself. But I'm going to talk a little bit about approach and presentation, about where you should be looking to fish. About why it's a good idea to fish in the rain and a little bit about gear because obviously stuff's going to get wet. So we're going to talk about all those things. But first and foremost, where should you be fishing? Now, Sometimes when we think of rain and the influences of a big precipitation event coming through, we think of high, muddy water, fast water, maybe even water that's dangerous to wade. And so those things are certainly worth considering. If the water is fast and the water is high and the water is dangerous, then you want to stay away. But there's a lot of good things that happen when it rains. So a a few examples. Uh, there was a spring creek that I would fish on all the time and now I know a spring creek is absolutely a bad example for why you should fish in the rain because they are oftentimes especially like limestone style streams are not significantly influenced by precipitation by when they get off colored they usually kind of just go a little bit chalky or cloudy but they're still virtually transparent Uh, so they, they don't get influenced the same way that freestone streams do, where the water's flowing from a, a, a long distance. And so it picks up all of the, all of the debris and uh, has opportunity to get really high and really muddy. But this particular creek, uh, there was so many bugs that would be on the grasses, that would be on the overhanging limbs, and the slightest drizzle all the way up to a big rainstorm was a great opportunity to fish terrestrials, to fish ants, and beetles in particular crickets and grasshoppers not as much during those those kind of uh, events um that that was when you you know a windy day a sunny windy day that's when you want to fish the grasshoppers and the crickets but ants and beetles and other just like basically like griffith's gnats anything that looks like a a buggy little little critter as soon as precipitation hit everything that was on those overhanging branches and limbs and leaves and bridge abutments and bridges themselves and anything and everything got knocked into the water And those fish would key in on it because it was such a healthy, rich ecosystem. And so where I concentrated was under bridges, um, up against bridge abutments, under overhanging uh, limbs, and over grasses that were kind of overhanging the creek. And those are great places to concentrate anytime, but during uh, a little bit of precipitation, whether it be on a spring creek or a free stone stream, or even a tailwater, those are great places to look because that precipitation is going to be knocking stuff down. It's going to be no- knocking um, you know, everything from insects to to a little bit of plant debris, which, you know, it moves everything towards the banks. And so if it's not a heavy precipitation, that is one good place to go. Another thing, and this is actually very appropriate on uh, freestone streams and spring creeks, I would say, is look at tributaries. Especially in incredibly warm months, if you have a cool rain, that water flowing in is going to create a temperature change. And something that we don't pay attention to enough, really until it's too late, and what I mean by that is like, we don't think about temperature until the fish are in a bad situation, like we think about temperature a lot in the middle of the summer, when we are debating whether we should fish or we should not fish. But fish being cold blooded critters are some are, are incredibly oriented towards temperature, irrespective of the season, um, irrespective of, you know, it being the middle of the summer. Temperature shifts and changes. In their streams, are, and you know what is surrounding them is going to cause them to move. Just consider yourself: uh, if you have the opportunity to be in a warmer room uh, or a cooler room in the winter time, where are you going to gravitate? Uh, and similarly, in the summertime, you know if it's a warmer room or a cooler room, where are you going to gravitate? We're going to move to where it is more comfortable for us, and. You know, do you want to eat outside when it's really, really hot and sticky and gross? Or do you want to move in under the shade or even into the air conditioning? The same thing is true with fish. Obviously, they are going to be opportunistic and they are going to take advantage of what is available to them. And they have a prioritization. You know, if they have food and water that is a little bit off, they're going to take advantage of it more often than not. But generally speaking, fish are going to move towards where that water is more comfortable or even where it is a little bit of a change. And so when you have rain, even heavy rain, and this is, you know, i I've mentioned that the overhanging branches and limbs is kind of being a light rain opportunity. When you have a really heavy rain, especially in the summertime, that's where fish are going to be moving into those tributary mouths and they're going to be getting that influx of cooler water. Even though that rainwater isn't necessarily cooler, it's going to increase the uh, flow of those tributaries, and fish are going to reorient into that stream a little bit more towards those tributary mouths. Uh, I have caught so many fish, and I know this is a little bit different, but so many steelhead um, and other fish that are moving around from from uh, lakes into creeks in creek mouths during rain events. And I know there's so many uh, you know things to say about steelhead in particular. Well, to be fair, these are steelhead from the, the Great Lakes, but Um, The same thing is true with uh, rainbows that live in lakes up here in New England. They will move up into the creeks when there's these rain events. And some of it has to do with food, some of it has to do with temperature, but these are great opportunities to fish creek mouths. Now, I had a podcast probably about a month, two months ago, talking about fishing the mouths of river systems and how it is a great spot that you can have you know if you're fishing a main river it's going to flow into something but then there's multiple tributaries that are flowing into that river and those are great spots to hit and and rain events is one of those opportunities now it could be the exact opposite where if you have two very large rivers that are flowing into one another and you have one that it is a watershed that has received a lot of rain which you know it could be in one valley there's a lot of rain and the next valley over there's not And so you have where two rivers come together and one is cloudy and muddy and the other one is clear. And in that situation, you're going to fish upstream in the clear water. And some of those fish that would have otherwise been in that rainy, muddy influenced water are going to be moving into that clear part of the stream. So you have to know your own stream system very well, your own watershed system very well to kind of identify these these places. But it's good to think about that. It's good to think, okay, this is where fish are going to be moving, potentially, based upon the fact that there has been flow. Now, I kind of blended the why and the how uh, in, in in that section a little bit. But another how that I wanted to bring up is patterns. I mentioned fishing terrestrials. Now, terrestrials, by and large, are dry flies. And rainy situations might be the least likely time that you want to fish a dry fly but is still certainly a possibility especially if it's a very buggy fly and terrestrials even small ones are very buggy flies when fish are going to be oriented upwards and if there are situations like an overhemming branch or some sort of cover they're still going to orient themselves toward those feeding lanes but I think the thing that we all think of when we think of off-colored water or water that has a choppy surface is streamer fishing and when I say streamer fishing, I don't necessarily mean kind of this contemporary approach, which means throwing a double-articulated streamer on an eight-weight rod trying to catch 14-inch trout. That's fine and good, and that's definitely a way to catch fish. And uh, some of the biggest fish that I have have seen caught out of some really, really small streams have come by throwing really big streamers in really bad weather, uh, like basically just below that threshold of thunderstorm like you're thinking i'm going to need to be done here very very soon i'm going to fish until there's lightning um that's when you've seen some of these really large fish uh take advantage of stuff and i think part of that and this is a little bit of an aside has to do with the fact that it gets really dark um there's certainly a pressure you know a barometer issue that that comes into play that goes beyond the scope of what we're talking about today but The rain is going to influence the fish, and the rain is going to influence, really, the entire ecosystem in a way that's going to make fish do things that they wouldn't normally do, which very well mean a fish that generally feeds nocturnally, fishing more into the margins of the day. So later in the morning than they normally would, earlier in the evening than they normally would, or in the middle of the day uh, if it's really dark and cloudy out. But all that to say, getting back to throwing streamers. So a great thing about streamers is that you are removing one of those barriers between you and the fish by keeping a tight line. You might say, well, I can tight line nymph or I can I can you know do that, no problem. Well, if you are truly tapping into your ability to sense gentle sensations in your fly line. And it is raining with any sort of intensity that is going to get thrown off significantly. So think about how delicate some of the takes are if you are tight line nymphing, or if you're nymphing under an indicator, or if you're just doing a traditional nymph presentation where you don't have an indicator and you don't have, um, you know, a, a direct tie from your rod tip down to that fly. You know, those are very, very delicate takes. And so it is absolutely not impossible to catch fish using those techniques in the rain. It's certainly very, very viable, but when you're fishing a streamer and whether it's on the swing um, or whether it is on the retrieve, you have that direct connection. And although you're going to be feeling a lot from that rain and from that chop on the water, and your senses are going to be a little bit wacky, too. I'll come back to that in a second. But you're going to have that direct connection where you're going to be able to feel a fish take, especially if it's, you know, a tight line on the swing or on the retrieve. But senses is another thing. Um, this is kind of boarding into, into gear, but I think we don't appreciate how we are unable to reject stimuli. So here's a perfect example. Um, I hate fishing with a hood on. I absolutely detest fishing with a hood on. And the reason for that is when it is raining, it is that tap, tap, tap of the rain on the back of a nylon hood that absolutely drives me bonkers. I, I can't tune it out. Um, and I feel like I'm having to pay attention, even passively, to this noise uh, that's going on all around me. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a foreign noise, you know. Um, similarly, if it's not raining and I move around and my hat or my ears or my hair is swishing around on the inside of that hood... It, I feel like I have to pay attention to it. Now, maybe that's me. Maybe you you don't have that problem at all, and that's fantastic. But I think that there's there's a two-pronged approach to this. One, be aware of that. If it is pouring down rain and you're going to be hearing all of that noise, not just on your hood, but on the water around you, your other senses might not be as acute as they would be if it is much more serene outside. Uh, I think that's, a, that's just a, a biological fact. Secondly, uh, Gear choice matters. So shifting a little bit into gear, and we'll, we'll shift back into presentation kind of as I talk about different gear things. Having a good waiting jacket is essential. And part of that is finding a jacket with a good hood. So I've got rain jackets, just boring old rain jackets that are great, that work in a pinch, that fold down really, really small, that fit in the back of my pack if I think it might rain, that I can bust out in a emergency. However, If I want to buy a waiting jacket, then I'm looking for a hood that leaves me space, that allows me to hear, that allows me to layer underneath it, whether that be a hood from a hoodie or a wool cap or a baseball cap, but also something that is not going to be constricting so that every time I move around, I lose some of my peripheral vision because that hood is cutting into the the uh, line of sight on either side of me. Or is going to be, again, my pet peeve, maybe not yours, but mine, is going to be swishing around every time I move. I like ones that have adjustable points. I have an old Orvis wading jacket that I've probably had for almost 20 years now, and it adjusts kind of over the crown, kind of where your baseball cap brim would meet the fabric that goes up over your forehead. And then also adjusts at the back of your neck and right kind of at the, the back of your head where kind of your little colic lives in the back of your hair. Um, and that's fantastic because whether I am... Just wearing that, or I have a couple of winter layers and hats underneath, uh, I'm able to adjust it adequately. Something else that's helpful in these situations is having a waiting jacket that has cuffs that are adjustable. Uh, Ideally, I mean, best case scenario, you get a jacket that has a neoprene cuff with a thumb hole in it. This is awesome because usually we think about those as being things that are good for you know, reaching into the water uh, i love that for uh, fishing in the wintertime also it's great for uh, i've learned great for duck hunting because you grab your decoy out of the water and you lift it up to put it in the boat behind you and all of a sudden this wet decoy is running water down your wrist and forearm and uh, it it settles uh, down in in your nice what was a nice warm you know arm so having that nice cuff. If it's neoprene, if it's, you can clench it tight is great, not just for reaching underwater, but as you fish and as you cast, you're going to have water that's going to be trying to move down your arm. Is it completely miserable? Is it impossible to fish with a wet arm? No, but if you can, you know, find a jacket that accomplishes keeping you dry a little bit better then that's worth doing. Uh, so jackets are, are, something that we don't think about because we don't always use them. But if you want to enjoy fishing in the rain, it will be so much better if you are virtually waterproof, except for your face and your fingers. And you can find wading jackets that when complimenting your waders, they make you waterproof except for your face and your fingers. And when you do that, you're going to be a little bit wet, but you're not going to be as wet as you would have been. So you being wet is okay because we dry out pretty well. I mean we might be uncomfortable, but we'll we'll dry out. Our gear on the other hand, that's where you're gonna have a problem. I mean, you and I aren't gonna rust, but our hooks are gonna rust, our other stuff's gonna gonna get damaged. Um there's a lot of small products, whether it be strike indicators or, you know, even floating bottles where they've got paper on them or in them and things like that, and they're just gonna get nasty and they're going to not get ruined necessarily, some of it, but it's just going to start to fall apart. And that's what happens when things get wet. So you have a couple options. You can have a waterproof pack, and there's a lot of waterproof packs out there. My contention with these items is twofold. One, the zippers are almost always clumsy. Uh, They are very hard to use, and they are virtually impossible to use one-handed. If you ever used a waterproof zipper, it almost always requires two-hand operation, uh, which is not easy if you're standing in the water and holding a fly rod. Uh, Secondly, if water gets in water stays in. I mean, it's waterproof, so it's not going to let water out unless you have some sort of incredibly fancy material that is is very, very breathable. But even then, uh, like if you've gotten water in your waders, if it's a little puddle of water, it's going to stay in there. Oh, third, they're expensive. We'll throw that out there, but let's just pretend that that's not as big of an issue. So my preference is to have something, some sort of gear option that is much more streamlined for when I'm fishing in the rain. So my wading jacket has really large bellow-style pockets on the chest and then a couple of smaller ones on the inside, and then I have my, my pocket inside of my waders that is waterproof. So I'm not carrying a pack always when it is raining really hard because I'm not I don't need as many many fly boxes I don't, I'm not carrying all of my tiny little mayfly imitations if it is raining hard I'm carrying my streamers I'm carrying a couple nymphs I'm carrying a couple of spools of tippet and some strike indicator and then my tools and the tools can be dangled and hung you know whatever wherever off of the, the my d rings or or grommets wherever on my waders or on my jacket that stuff is isn't going to be a problem as long as it's not f- wet forever so. I usually just do without a pack when I'm fishing in rain, when I'm fishing in really heavy precipitation, throwing stuff in my jacket pockets and my shirt pockets and in my waiter pockets. And when you do that, you know, just be aware that if you do open up a pocket or you unzip something and when you're fiddling with things, it gets really wet, then just know that that needs to get pulled out and laid out. I generally do that. Anyway, if I submerge my pack because I wade too deep, if I drop something, or if it is snowing or raining, I will leave my fly boxes open in the back of my car as I am driving home or in the trunk as I'm driving home, just as a precaution to keep things from getting wet. Now, I will also, gear-related topic here. I will usually go up one line size. So if I usually fish a particular stream of the 4-weight, I'll fish a 5-weight. If I usually fish a particular stream of the 5-weight, 6-weight. I think you understand why I'm going with this. It's a very simple concept, but it has to do with the fact that I'm probably going to be taking advantage of some of those presentations that I mentioned earlier, specifically with streamers. So again, not fishing huge, chunky, meat kind of style streamers, but just going from what I would normally fish on a particular stream, dry flies, streamers, wet flies, little nymphs, and I'm going to maybe fishing a little bit larger of a streamer. And so not totally changing my game, but just maybe going up one fly size. Or if the water has made it Uh, so that it is flowing higher from the, the precipitation, more weight. And so I'm not going to fuss with messing with a cast that is a little bit cumbersome because now there's dumbbell eyes on a streamer as opposed to a little bead head. So I'll just, generally speaking, in my mind, I'll go up one weight size with my fly line and my rod as I go to fish after it has been raining. All right, so much ground left uncovered but hopefully it is a good starting point for you to think about getting out and fishing in the rain it is not a day ruined if there's precipitation after all the fish are already wet a little couple caveats that i want to add at the end uh remember lightning don't fish thunder don't fish uh, and also remember that wading becomes more difficult even on their most familiar streams as the flow increases. So just keep those things in mind as you go out and fish in the rain. This week on castingacross.com, two articles about panfish. Who doesn't like panfish? If you say you don't like panfish, there's something you just got to work out. Anyway, uh, first article is called My Top Three Panfish Flies. I use dozens of flies for panfish. I have some of the weirdest, ugliest experimental patterns in my box, and they all catch fish. But consistently, there's three patterns I return to over and over and over again. And so I talk about those in this article, my top three panfish flies. And then Wednesday's follow-up was my top three subtle panfish presentations. Because I go to flies that yield large panfish. There's some flies that will produce all the panfish, right? You know, anything and everything down to the little like, you know, half pint size uh, bluegill and whatnot. But I generally gravitate towards flies that will at least give me the opportunity to get bigger fish. And I find as I was writing that article on Monday, that there's certain presentations that I also turn to that will inevitably lead me to larger fish because of the way that I fish them. So I write about those, my top three subtle panfish presentations. And I say subtle because I find that those bigger fish aren't just rip-roaring, ready to go out and take on the world. They have gotten big for a reason. They have avoided not just anglers, but largemouth bass and snapping turtles and all the other things that they've had to deal with throughout their lives. So a more subtle presentation seems to yield more and larger panfish when uh, you're, you're fishing in places where those fish have seen some stuff. This week's recommendation on the podcast is the fly fishing consultant, Rob Snow White's podcast. And here's why. Uh, first and foremost, Rob's a good guy. I've known Rob for a long time. Uh, secondly, his podcast is one of the, the core podcasts in the fly fishing podcast world But third, oh, here, third, he's also on the Waypoint Podcast Network, just like the Casting Crossfly Fishing Podcast, but fourth, and this is really the reason why I'm bringing it up, is that he has some interviews with some of the authors that I have interviewed and I have written about. So if you want to hear these authors' voices, so for example, uh, Dylan Tomine had the book Headwaters that came out uh, recently. I wrote an article about it. I uh, had had him on, uh, not on the podcast, but I talked to him. And if you want to hear his voice, if you want to hear uh, Dylan's voice and use that as you know maybe an encouragement for you to get out and get that book, or if you've already read that book, maybe you heard about it on the article, that I wrote about it, and now you want a follow-up conversation with them, then check out Rob's podcast. There's a couple of other books also, if you go back uh, through um, Rob's catalog, that you will see that he has talked to people that I have interviewed, and uh, you're able to then hear their voice, whereas you've only read about me talking to them. So it really creates this cool little comprehensive picture of a person and their love of fishing and what they are bringing to the fly fishing culture. I will put a link to Rob's podcast on the show notes for this podcast page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.